Today is Christmas Eve, and uh, for the last three weeks, today will be the fourth week, we've been looking at, at some of the names uh, that, the, that the angels revealed to Mary and Joseph, and also uh, we've looked at a couple of names that they revealed to the shepherds. And we're going to look at the final name today, and we're, we're really, we're, we're asking the question, why? Why Christmas? Why these names? And most people... They don't like the question why. When I was a little boy, I think I shared this the first Sunday, uh, every time I asked my daddy why, his answer was always the same, because I said so. <laughs> Which meant I was to be quiet and do whatever I was told and not say another word. But, uh, and I understand that, having been a father, and, but I, as a grandfather, I also understand sometimes those why questions are, are questions so that uh, that person can understand. I, I've always been a person that asked why. And so, you know, sometimes that gets you in trouble. And uh, lots of people are afraid to ask why because it, 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 it tends to, people tend to believe those are kind of questions of rebellion. But very often, the question why, when it's asked, the, the, the answer is, is usually very simple and straightforward. And, and when that answer comes for that person who asks why, it's kind of one of those voila, one of those uh, oh yeah moments where it, 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 that makes sense. You know, but if we don't ever ask why, our understanding will always be incomplete and the truth will always be shrouded in a mist of ignorance, especially when it comes to Scripture. I mean, I believe that this is God's revealed word. I believe it's inerrant, infallible, all those other words with, with the I. I believe that. I believe he breathed this word. But that doesn't keep me from asking why. Why this? Why this way? You know, and, and, and what I've learned is when I begin to ask why, God begins to show me answers. He begins to, he begins to take me deeper. And so that's one of the reasons we've, we've done this series, we've done this study, is because I want us to go deeper. I, I don't want us just to accept things because we heard it from somebody standing behind a pulpit. I want us to understand these things because God said it. And He had a reason, and He wants us to know. In fact, you know, most of the questions that we have go unanswered. You know why? Because we're not willing to ask them. For most of us, that issue is, is a little word that starts with a P and ends with an E. Pride. We don't want anybody to know we don't know. Let me tell you something. When I got into ministry, people started asking me questions left and right. I felt like the Bible answer man. And I didn't know the answer. Now, I had brothers in the ministry that even if they didn't know the answer, they'd spin one out. You know what I mean? They may not say anything, but they would talk a while, okay? And I just decided I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. If I don't know, I'm going to say, I don't know. And some of you have asked me questions, and I've told you, I don't know, but we'll see if we can't find the answer. We'll look. But most of the time, the reason we don't say, I don't know, is because of pride. We, we, don't, want, we, we, we don't want to feel like we, we're, we're, our, our intelligence or our knowledge is lacking. And, and we, we don't want to appear stupid to people. 
Y'all don't tell any of my pastor friends this, but when you spin an answer out, everybody knows you don't know. <laughs> okay? They know that. And you look stupid. We're afraid, though, that if we ask a question, it'll be a stupid question. Here's what I have learned in my lifetime, is that the only stupid question is the one I refuse to ask. You know what? Usually, the question that's bothering me is bothering about everybody else. And, and, and everyone wants to know the answer. And so I want to encourage you, ask those questions. One thing I've learned is to ask them. It, it's not rebellion, it's not ignorance. It's just the first step in gaining knowledge that eventually becomes wisdom. Why is kind of the doorway that opens to take us into our purpose and our destiny. If we don't ask why along the way, we'll pick up a lot of stuff that we don't need. Okay? And, and some of you, and, and I, even myself, I, I'm in this process of jettisoning things that I picked up and put in my backpack and took as truth that, that wasn't truth or lies that I believed. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about spiritual things. I'm just talking about life. And, 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 and part of the process of becoming like Jesus is, is having those things taken out of my backpack and laid down because I'll never get where God wants me to go and you'll never get where God wants you to go if your backpack's too heavy and it's filled with lies. And so why is a good question to learn? Over the last few weeks we've been asking why with regard to the names that, that, that the angels revealed on that very first Christmas, the names that God gave his son. We've asked why to learn uh, what uh, was revealed through those names. We looked at the name of Jesus and we found that, that, that God is salvation. We looked at, at Savior and we found that that, that means uh, someone who saves or who delivers. And we looked last, this past Sunday at, at, the, at the name Christ and uh, we saw that, that Christ is, is the same word for Messiah. It's another word for deliverer. Uh, today we're going to look at that final name which is revealed in, in the announcement there over the skies in Bethlehem and it was announced to those shepherds. And as, there are times like we were singing this a few minutes ago uh, about the shepherds and, and I just I thought I, I thought I wonder what they felt like when all of a sudden the angel appeared. And he, he gave them this message that I'm about to read. I wonder what they felt like. I mean, were, were they terrified? They must have been because he tells them to fear not. Okay, that's the first thing he says. But, but then as he begins to, to speak, and he spoke in their language, he used the words they understood as they begin to, 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 to take what he said and, and filter it down through what they knew. I wonder how excited they must have got. It's interesting that they found that baby in that manger pretty quickly. Okay, Bethlehem wasn't a, a house or two. It was a, it was a fairly modest little, little town, and it was probably swelled to, to, to uh, the brink with, with people coming from all over the world who were a part of the, the city of David whose ancestors had been there as they were being numbered for the census, but yet those, those, shelter, those shepherds found that baby. This is what the the angel said in Luke chapter 2, verse, I'm going to read verse 10 and 11. It says, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, 
which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, in Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ. And then he completes it, the Lord. The Lord. Why Lord? What's God trying to communicate to us uh, through that name? That, that term ap- appears in the New Testament 717 times. Two-thirds of those times they occur in, in, in the writings of Luke, who writes two books, okay? 210 times in, in Acts and in uh, the Gospel of Luke. And then in Paul's writing, he uses the, the word Lord 275 times. Two-thirds of, of it appear in those two writers. Why? Because they are writing to Gentiles. Okay, they're writing to people like us. They're not Jews. And, and they're, they're communicating something to the culture and to the language. The Greek word that, that Paul and Luke would have used is, is, for Lord is the word kurios. And it emphasizes two things. It emphasizes authority and supremacy. Authority and supremacy. In other words, God is supreme and he has all authority. And it was often translated with some other words. It's translated to mean sir. It's translated to mean owner or master. Or sometimes it will refer to a, an idol and occasionally it will refer to a, to a husband. But when kurios is used of God, it expresses particularly his creation, his ability to create, his creatorship. Is a, I don't know if that's a word I coined or, or, or something I've read, but it also reveals his power as it's been revealed in history. And it, and it also shows his dominion over the universe. God has supreme right and power over all things. Whether you or I recognize it or not, he holds life in his hands. Okay, he is Lord. Whether we declare it or not, he is still Lord. Our declaration doesn't make him Lord. He is Lord because he holds that position by the authority and the supremacy of who he is. And it's interesting that the angelic messengers specify they didn't just call him, they didn't just call this baby a Lord, okay? He will be the Lord. That's what it says there. For in, this, for in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, they're communicating something that, that we miss if we, don't, if we don't understand that. He wanted them to know the, the exact identity of this person that, 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 that he had come to herald. He is pronouncing the king is coming. He's, that's the picture there. The king is coming. And what he means when he says the Lord is this. This is God. I mean, that's what the angels say. The Lord. This is God. This is the Savior you need. This is the Messiah you've been waiting for. He is here and He's God. Now, <coughs> their little Jewish heads must have exploded, okay? I'm, 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 I say that if, if you or I had been there our little heads would have exploded too. Because as, as Jews, they, they would not have missed the implications of the verbiage that the angel uses. And, and the early church, due to its roots being in that Jewish church, they didn't miss it either. They didn't miss it either. By this time in history, by this time in Jewish history especially, religious Jews 
would not say or write the name of God as it had been revealed to Moses. Most of us know that as I am that I am or Yahweh. They would not say, they would not utter those words, they would not write those words. It was considered by them to be too holy to be uttered. And so what they did in Hebrew, they substituted a word, and that word was Adonai. They would write Adonai every time Yahweh was in Scripture. Or every time in their prayers, they would say Adonai instead of Yahweh. Now this is the, this is the name that God revealed himself to his people with, okay? Now, I respect their belief, but I'm just saying this is the name God said, here's what I want you to call me. They, they were so in awe of it that rather than use it and, and maybe uh, defame it or take it in vain, they would use the name Adonai. And which is, if you've got an Old Testament, and most of you do, this afternoon you just look in your Old Testament, it's always translated, Yahweh, is always translated Lord. It's capital L, big capital L, small capital O, small capital R, small capital D. Every time you see that, you know that's Yahweh. It's Lord. It's, it's Adonai. That's what they were saying there. And so in, 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 the same is true with those that, that didn't speak Hebrew but were Jewish, that spoke Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. He, he likely spoke some Greek and he likely spoke some Latin. But, uh, but he also he spoke Hebrew, but the language of, 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 of Israel was primarily Aramaic. And the word Maria is, 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 is the word for God. They would, they would write that in. The Aramaic speakers. Now you say, Maria, I mean, I don't know. How many of you remember the word Maranatha? Mara, it's, it's, it's Yahweh. Natha, come. Our Lord, come. That's what it means. That's what Maranatha means. And it's an it's, it's Aramaic word that has found its way into our English translation because there was no other word to translate it for the most part, and it, it just kind of came over. And so they, they would use that. So in, in, in the first century, both the Hebrew and the Aramaic-speaking Jews, it was translated into the Greek as one word, kurios. That was very common for those that, that were Greek speakers. And there were a lot of Jews that just spoke Greek. After Alexander came through and he, 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 he instituted the, the Greek culture three or four hundred years before this, many of them had taken up Greek. And so the New Testament is written in Greek. It was the, the language of commerce. Okay, It was the language of the world. If you were in business, you needed to know some Greek. Everybody spoke Greek across the known world, at least a little bit. And so it was the language that, that God decided, you know what? I'll get my word out, and I'll get it to the most people if we put it in Greek. And so that's where you get the word kurios. And so it was, it was a very common term. And those shepherds, though, they knew exactly what the angels were saying. That baby that's wrapped in swaddling clothes, that's, that's lying in the manger, that very same God who, who spoke creation into being, he has now come, and he has become a part of the creation. He's a baby. That helpless, that utterly dependent on his parents' human baby is omnipotent God. Now, if that doesn't make your head go... <laughs> you don't ask why enough, okay? It must, have, it must have boggled 
those shepherds' minds as they, as they went and as they knelt before that child and as they worshipped. This is God. Oh, wow. <laughs> they got excited, okay? They got excited. And so the, the eternal, the, the self-existent, the transcendent God who, out, who exists outside of creation was now had stepped into that time-space continuum. He had become, he had come into his creation. Why? I want you to hear me this morning. Okay, why? Because he loves you. And he came looking for you. That's it. Okay, I could stop there and we could go home. And y'all might break out in hallelujah. But Jesus said this in Luke 19.10. He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came on a rescue mission. You see, God had been speaking through angels. He had been speaking to the hearts of the prophets. He had been speaking to the patriarchs. And people just couldn't get it. And so God steps into our realm. And he speaks through Jesus. Scripture says he, Jesus is the Word. He is the Logos. He existed with God. He's always been with God. He is God. Okay? Those are great places to ask why, but I'm just going to tell you, if you do, your head will go... It's beyond comprehension. But he became like us. He took on our humanity. I love this passage in Philippians chapter 2. It says, it's talking about Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, that doesn't mean he was like a paper cutout of God. It means he was God. Okay, that's just, that's, that's the way the English translates it. The, the Greek is so precise that it, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held onto, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Now, he didn't empty himself of his attributes. He never ceased to be God, okay? He laid those aside. He took them with him, but he chose not to use them. And he emptied himself, and he took the form of a bondservant. In other words, he took the form of a human being and being made in the likeness of men. That doesn't mean that he was a paper cut out of us. He became human, all right? God united with humanity. Two natures in one person. And listen, when he, arose, when he arose from the grave and he ascended into heaven, he didn't drop that part of him. He will always be human from this point in Scripture on and into eternity. He loved you and me so much and he wanted us to know that God loved us too and that God would take care of our sins, that he became us. Okay, that's the message of Christmas. It's not all the other stuff. That's the message of Christmas. And being found in the appearance of a man, Paul continues, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus became you, became me, so that he might take on himself our debt of sin. And he died for it. He came to take our place. 
It's like he walked up to, to you. We were in line for, the, for, the, for, the, for execution. Pushed us out of the way. Stepped into our place. He was our substitute. He is our substitute. So that you and I can live life not just eternally, but abundantly. And as a result of that choice, as a result of that sacrifice, you know what God the Father did? This is pretty cool. In Philippians chapter 2, continuation of that passage, he says, therefore, because of this, because Jesus took on humanity and became human and died, because of that, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him not a name, but the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under heaven. And that's everybody, okay? That's the angels in heaven, that's the people on earth, and that's the demonic spirits that rebelled against Jesus. That's everything that he's created. That, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to say it again. It's not just Jesus. It's that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. That, that confession there is likely the earliest confession of the church. Jesus Christ is Lord. I want you to say that with me, okay? Jesus Christ is Lord. I shared a little bit last week. I want to share a little bit more this week, the early church believed that Jesus was their Lord and their God. Okay? That they believed that. And during the first 300 years of the church, the believers were often persecuted by the Roman governments or the governments that were in place that were propped up by Rome. And they were, they were typically blamed for anything and everything that would go wrong. Nero blamed Christians because he was a crackpot. Okay, and he did a lot of stupid things, but it was easy to blame the Christians. And so what happened is, is, is once a year in every Roman providence, every person was lined up and they were forced to, to burn a pinch of incense and they were forced to say, Caesar Curios. In other words, Caesar is Lord. Now, Every person that did that could go on about their business and worship whoever, whatever they wanted to. Even the Christians, okay? That was it. They didn't have to, to go every Saturday or every Friday night or, or whenever. They didn't have to do that in their own uh, places of worship. They just simply had to do that. It was done before a magistrate, and they would note it. And, and that person was considered a, a healthy citizen of the state, Everybody that refused to do that was stamped rebel, <laughs> okay? And they were made an example of. Rome never did anything easy. They always took it to the extreme. You know why? Because they wanted to communicate a message to the rest of the people. This is what happens when you are a rebel. And so most people take their little pinch of incense, guys are curious, and they go on. But the Christians couldn't do it. 
Or let me put it this way, they would not do it. Instead, they would make this confession. Jesus Christos Kurios. Jesus Christ is Lord. They wouldn't bend. They wouldn't bow. They wouldn't give in to the pressure of the culture. And you know what? Thousands of them were crucified. It was not uncommon for, for the roads to be lined with crosses. Okay? The Romans made examples. It was not uncommon for fathers and mothers to watch their children crucified before they were crucified. Many of them were torn apart by lions and by tigers and bears and leopards, or they were gored by bulls in the, in the Colosseums and in, the, in the, the places throughout the empire. Others were killed for sport in gladiator matches. Or they were simply burned at the stake for the enjoyment of the crowd. I have a picture in my office of a, of a Colosseum. And there in that Colosseum, there's a group of Christians. They're, they're over to the side. They're praying. They're, it's an old man. He's kind of leading the prayer. They're children. They're parents. And then around that, that Colosseum, there, there are crosses. And, and the, the people that are on those crosses have been dipped in pitch. And they've been set afire. They're the lighting for the game. And then you see the cats coming up. It always reminds me of where we come from. I see it every morning. It reminds me that you know what? This is the price that was paid so that I could have freedom. So that I could stand here on a Sunday and declare that Jesus is Lord. They didn't, they didn't say, you know what, Kaiser is, is Lord. They said Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the early church fathers uh, put it this way. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Every one of those men and women and children who, who were martyred caused the church to explode. In less than 300 years, the most powerful uh, empire in the world had, had been turned upside down. The, 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 the outlawed religion had become the religion of Rome. It had been declared the official religion. Why? Because they would only say, Jesus Christos Kurios. They stood for something. Okay? Listen, if we stand for nothing, that's what we'll have. But if we'll stand for something, and I don't know a better thing to stand for than Jesus Christ is Lord, we'll have something. God honored their deaths. He honored them, and it changed the world. You remember Thomas? We call him Doubting Thomas. Why? Because it's just an easy name to hang on somebody that asks questions, okay? Not really, I mean, Thomas is just like most of us. Man, if I can't see it, I can't believe it. Okay, how many of you are kind of that way? Even when I see it sometimes, I don't necessarily believe it. All right, I'm just telling you. But, but when Thomas encountered the risen, the crucified Jesus, when he, when he, when he encountered Jesus who he had, had seen crucified and now he was risen, this is what he said in John 20, 28. My Lord 
and my God. He got it. It was a voila moment. The light bulb went on. And that is the essence of the Christian faith. When we acknowledge Jesus of Nazareth as Yahweh of the Old Testament, that's the essence of our faith. When we, when we put those two individuals together and they become one, we got it. That's, 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 that's what Thomas did. See, Jesus is more than a Savior. He is God. And listen, if he's not your Lord, he can't be your Savior. All right? Those names that the angels gave, we don't get to pick and choose the one we like. They come together. All right? They come together. They, 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 they can't be separated. Uh, they can't be preferred over the other. In fact, those names accompany one another, and they're almost synonymous with each other. Okay? Jesus means Savior. The angels say there's going to be a Savior born to you. He will not only be Savior, but He will be Christ. Christ means deliverer. Savior means deliverer. See how they're connected? And all three of them are going to be God. God's all of that. That's what the angel is, is trying to communicate. There's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If your Savior is not Christ the Lord, He can't save you. Okay? Let me say that again. If your Savior, if what you're depending on is not Christ the Lord, you're not saved. You won't be saved. Because there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. All right? You say, well, I don't like that. Take that up with God. That's what He said. All right? And by the way, he's Lord, which means he has supreme authority. He can make the rules he wants. And he has supreme power. He can enforce the rules he makes. All right? But now listen, the rules that God makes are righteous. They're not selfish. All right? So only God saves, and he's Lord. In fact, if you go deep, deep, deep back into the Old Testament, there is a, there is a, a, a very most basic declaration of faith. It's called the Shema in Israel. And every day, every day, they would stand and they would recite this prayer. They would pray this, Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Ehud. Now, so what in the world does that mean? Okay, what's Adonai mean? It means Lord, it means God. Okay, so he says, I don't know, twice at least. The rest of it, we're not sure. It means this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. So they're declaring that God is their God and that there's not a multiplicity of gods. There's only one God. And they would state that. They would pray that every morning of every day. You would hear it as they got up. You would hear it echoing through the streets. They were declaring that. It's interesting. That comes from Deuteronomy 6.4. Because in the New Testament, it's restated. And it's kind of re-explained. It's not re-explained. It's explained. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. He said, yet for us. Now, who, who is us? Well, it's the body of Christ. That's who he's talking to. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. 
And then he adds this, and by one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So what's Paul declaring? Paul's declaring in language that can't be misinterpreted, mis, let me say it right, misinterpreted, that Yahweh God in the Old Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. They are the same person. That's what he's saying. His affirmation is, we worship one God, and his name is the Lord. Is the Lord. So, what does all of that mean for us? What does that mean today? December the 24th, 2017. Regardless of whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in this moment, what does that mean? I'm going to give you four things, and then I'm done, okay? It means, number one, that Jesus Christ is Lord regardless of what you do or don't do. What you believe or you don't believe, whether you respond or you don't respond today. You and I don't determine who he is. You and I surrender to who he is. And that deserves an amen. Whether I like it or not, that's reality. Because scripture says one of these days, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. So if you don't confess it now, you will confess it one day. But it means that regardless, we don't make Jesus Lord. I've, I've heard people say that. You need to make Jesus your Lord. And you're saying, we don't make him that. He is already that. We bow before who he is. Okay? We surrender to that. He is who he is, and he will never change. Not for me, not for you. So, the first thing we need to understand is this, we don't determine who he is. God has already determined who he is. He is supreme. And he is in total authority. He's the Lord. Secondly, this comes right out of Acts 4.12. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Well, what does that mean, Nelson? It means there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Well, what does it say in the Greek? I can read it a third time. All right? That's about the plainest verse in Scripture. There is no other name. Buddha won't get it. Okay? Allah will not do it. Whatever your name is is going to come up lacking. It will never save you. There's only one name under heaven given whereby we are saved. And that name is Jesus Christ the Lord. Well, what do I do? Well, Romans chapter, or excuse me, Acts chapter 16, 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You and your household believe. In other words, accept in your mind and in your heart what God has revealed. The revelation that he's given. Just simply believe it. 
Yeah, but don't I need to do some things? Man, don't I need to clean up my act? I've got this problem. You know, I, got, I, got, I dip or I, I smoke or I drink a little bit every once in a while. Or, you know, man, every once in a while I like to run to the club. That's not what it says. Yeah, but I'll tell a lie from time to time. Or, dang, I, mean, I wish I didn't do this. But every once in a while I'll say something that, you know, it's a little blue. It's, it's, it's not PG. When I get all that fixed, then I'll come. That's not what this verse says. It says, believe. Yeah, but, no buts. It's, it's as clear as day. Listen, you and I can't save ourselves. If we could, we could clean ourselves up, but we can't clean ourselves up. That's why Jesus had to do such a drastic thing and become flesh and become us. Somebody had to do it, and he did it. And because he did it, he can be the substitute for the rest of us. You know what? I don't have to, to stop that or, or quit that. In time, God will take those things away and he will convict me of those things and he will work through a process whereby I get victory over those things. But to receive Jesus and for him to be my Lord, I just simply have to believe what he's done. He came he died on a cross and he was resurrected. If I believe those things, then this verse says, you shall, not you might. It says you shall be saved. So how do I do that? Well, let me, let me boil it all down into about four passages of Scripture. In Romans chapter 10, Paul gives us a step-by-step process. He says, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. You see, to the Romans, that, didn't, that wasn't a big deal. It was, just, it was just a formality. If you would just simply say, Kaisar Kurios, you could go on about your way. Listen, don't say that. Say this, and then you can say whatever you want and believe whatever you want. They would not do that. Why? Because to confess with their mouth that anyone else was Lord was to deny Jesus Christ. And the early church took it serious. If you did that, they didn't fellowship with you. You were on the outside looking in. Okay, you were by yourself. You became a traitor. And so Paul says, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, okay? Jesus, your Lord. What else? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You mean I don't have to decide which theory of the end times I follow? Am I pre-meal, I-meal, or post-meal, pan-meal, or whatever meal? Nope, that's not a part of it. Well, don't I have to be a Calvinist or an Armenian or something in between? Nope, that's not in it. But don't I need to be Baptist? Or Catholic? Or Church of God? Or Assembly of God? Or Presbyterian? Or Methodist? Or whatever? Nope. It's pretty simple. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, listen to what it says, you shall be saved. And listen, he explains it. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. When we believe that Jesus did what Jesus said he did, 
then all of a sudden God gives us the righteousness of Jesus, which takes care of the problem that all of us have, which is a sin problem. And then he says this, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation, meaning if I, if I receive something, out of, of me will come this confession. And you know what? It will prove I have something. See, we go at it backwards. We want people to come and confess something with their mouth and then hope they believe it in their heart. See, the Bible has a, a straightforward way of this happening. You are to believe in your heart, and out of your heart will come the confession of your heart. What does Scripture say? Out of the heart? Yeah, that man, he's, he, out, what's in here comes out here. And so, uh, you, you, for which the heart believes, resulting in, in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And then he says this, for Scripture says, whoever believes in him, whoever, all right, not just the elect, not just this group or that group or the one sealed with stripes across their head or whatever it is, in whoever, whoever means anyone, who confesses with, who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And then he says this, for there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. You don't have to become a Jew to be a Christian. That, that's, that's what he's saying. And, and you know what? There's not one way for the Jews and another way for the rest of you. There's one way. Everybody goes through the same door. His name is Jesus. For the same Lord is Lord of all. The God of the Jews is the God of the Gentiles. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm a pretty simple person. When, when things get complex, like, you know, when you go see a lawyer and he wants you to read this deal, make sure everything's cool, I get confused in about three sentences. Uh, whenever I have to sign my name to something, you're supposed to read it. By the time I read it, I have no clue what it means. Okay? God is not like lawyers. Okay? He's not. He doesn't make it so complex that we can't understand it. And I'm not, I'm not throwing rocks at lawyers. They do that because of the laws and the legal stuff and everything. But God is very simple. All right? He puts it in language we can understand. He says this, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But they have to be baptized first. No, they don't have to be baptized first. But they have to believe this. No, they don't have to believe that. But they have to give up all that stuff. No, they don't have to give up anything. They just simply have to call on the name of the Lord and they will be saved. There's a reason that the last name in that, that long title that the shepherds receive for today has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's a, there's a, there, that, that, that Savior, that Christ, becomes God. God has made it so simple that whosoever will can be saved. Listen, that's the message of Christmas. That's what 
Christmas is about. And folks, I have shared the gospel as simple as I know how. And here's, here's the thing. The greatest gift you could receive today is Jesus. All right? He died so that we could all have that gift. There's no reason that, that any of us couldn't have that gift. And so this morning, I just share that with you. If you're here and you're not certain, listen, don't leave uncertain. And if you're here and you know for certain you've never surrendered, you've never given your life to Jesus, don't leave here, okay? It's not complex. It, 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 you don't have to do a bunch of stuff. Listen, you don't even have to walk this aisle and take me by the hand. Okay? You can simply say, Lord, I believe in my heart that you died for me. Jesus, you are Lord. That's it. That's, I mean, that's as simple as it gets. I don't have to... Pray I'm a sinner and I've done all this stuff. Please forgive me. He does that. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, don't, don't misunderstand me. But it is so simple. We've made it so dadgum complex and hard that people think they have to come down an aisle, take a pastor by the hand, pour their guts out, cry like babies, kneel at an altar, have people beating them on the back, screaming and yelling, and then maybe they'll get saved. Pretty simple. God, I believe that. I believe you did raise, I believe you were raised from the dead. Lord, you're, you're Lord. You're God. Something happens. That person is transformed. They're born again. That's the offer this morning. It's not my offer. It's not the offer of this church. That's Jesus' offer. See, Jesus stands this morning in this place offering this. He's offering this to whosoever will come. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.